Hi, guys, and welcome to the Healthified Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McLaughlin, holistic health coach, writer, and wellness entrepreneur who has, for over 15 years, delved deeply into my passions of nutrition and health. Before we get started, this episode of Healthified is brought to you by Gratified, a natural foods company I launched in order to make a more impactful change in the packaged food space. We offer gluten-free, primarily grain-free, dairy-free granola, nutrition bars, and baking mixes. Everything has been created with real food nutrition, blood sugar balance, and metabolic science in mind. For a discount off of any Gratified product, visit gratified.com and use the promo code HEALTHIFIED at checkout. Also, if you're enjoying listening to this podcast, I would be so grateful if you could scroll down and submit a rating or review. Five stars is awesome and very much appreciated, but of course, honest feedback is also welcome. Today's guest is Pam Moore, an occupational therapist turned intuitive eating coach and health and fitness journalist who lives in Boulder, Colorado with her husband and two daughters. As an intuitive eating coach, her mission is to help women stop micromanaging their food and exercise in the quest for a smaller body so they can start fully showing up to the big, brilliant lives they were meant for. In our conversation, we discuss how our relationship with food is connected to our emotional world what intuitive eating is and why the science supports it, what nutrition has to do with intuitive eating, how to make your meals more of a mindful sensory experience, how food anxiety clouds our judgment and interferes with our hunger cues and what happens when we let that go. Let's head to our chat. Pam, welcome to the Healthified Podcast. Sarah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes. As I was saying offline, I am really excited about this conversation just as I was doing kind of a deep dive into your story, you're an intuitive eating coach. A lot of your background I really relate to. And even though I've seen intuitive eating kind of pop on the social media feed, I've never really had a discussion about it. So I know that this is going to be really insightful for me and the audience. Um, And with that being said, could you just kick us off and tell us a little bit more about your story background and how you got to where you are? Yeah, I'll I'll give you like a what I hope is a very nutshell version. And then you yeah. can, I guess, ask follow-up questions because I could like talk and talk and talk, which I don't want to do. Oh, please. Um, yeah. <laughs> the more the merrier. Um, okay. Let's see. I I'll, Professionally, I got my master's degree in occupational therapy. I practiced occupational therapy in medical settings for almost, I'm going to say like 11 years. After my second child was born, I pivoted to writing. I had always had an interest in writing. Mm-hmm. My husband really encouraged me. He was like, I I see you being a writer, like do this. And I was like, you know, when you factor in the cost of like childcare and the stress of working in the hospital and I was getting pretty burnt out on healthcare, yeah. um, I took that leap. And pretty soon I was doing health and fitness writing for um, major outlets like the Washington Post, Runner's World, The wow. Guardian, um, And then, of course, as soon as I got comfortable with writing, I decided to shake things up again. (laughs) And I got certified as an intuitive eating counselor almost two years ago because intuitive eating really changed my life. Um, You know, that was kind of my professional background in a nutshell. Personally, I've been very involved in endurance sports for a long time. I ran my first marathon when I was 21, and I've like had I had body ish- body image issues before that. And I think sports, as much as they made me feel good about myself and what I could do in a lot of ways, uh, they also created a lot of insecurity around my body because I was mm-hmm. stuck thinking, oh, athletes look like this and I don't. And so what can I do to get there? And so I was very neurotic about 
food for a very long time. And when I discovered intuitive eating, um, gosh, like five years ago, it just, it changed everything and it changed everything quickly. It was so crazy. Like most habits and changes that I've made, like it, you, you see it taking time. This was almost like overnight, everything got better. And I mean, yes, it's been linear. Like, yes, some days are better. Some days are worse, but it was huge. And then I, I just dove into it and got the certification because I was like, you know, I really want to help other people heal their relationships with food. You don't have to have an eating disorder, which I did not have. I had disordered eating, which we can talk about. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have an eating disorder to get help and to make right. it better. Right. Yeah. And I would say that as women, and excuse the generalization here, but majority of us probably have, I would say everybody has a relationship with food. I don't think that you can separate our relationship with food from our emotional world. I mean, even if you are someone who can look at it very objectively, food is fuel, you still have a background and an upbringing and situations in which food served an emotional purpose, whether that's celebrating over the holidays or um, something you eat out of nostalgia. Like I do think that they're so intertwined, but you're so right about the difference between eating disorder and disordered eating. And I, I want to unpack that a little bit more down the road, but I would love to learn a little bit more about your um, experience in endurance sports and especially if propelling yourself into that world was in the aftermath of like body image issues, or is it something that kind of got worsened as you were enmeshed in that world? Because when I was learning about you and kind of the articles that you write, especially for those um, athletic publications, I was surprised to hear that there's kind of body image issues and disordered eating in the athlete world. Because I would think that athletes almost kind of look at their body as more of an objective machine and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'd be curious to hear about your personal experience with that topic. Yeah. It's, it's sticky because I hear what you're saying and that makes so much sense. That's what you would think. Right. But um, mm-hmm. I actually just read a phenomenal memoir called good for a girl by Lauren Fleshman. She mm-hmm. was one of the most decorated runners um, in the United States for the longest time, but she battled a lot of injuries, which were probably related to underfueling. And so her memoir, it dives into her past and her history as a runner, but also talks a lot about the cultural and social factors that influenced her experience and that made her experience not at all unique. And she actually, I believe there was a statistic that she cited in the book that college level, I want to say, I don't know if it was specifically division one runners or professional Mm -hmm. runners, but like elite female runners, I think tend to have worse body image issues than non-athletic women. And I think, and I do think it's probably sport dependent, but Mm -hmm. in a sport like running where not the men, but the women are expected to compete in like a sports bra and buns, which are essentially underwear, Right, you're, you're wearing a bikini basically right there is this pressure to look fit and and even saying the word looking fit there's being fit and there's looking fit like being right. as lean as possible isn't necessarily fit if it's not sustainable if you're sustaining um stress fractures if you're getting sick if you're getting all kinds of injuries that that's not truth that's not sustainable fitness but right. um 
but yeah, but to answer your question, <laughs> I, I, a lot of people I've spoken to say that they started with exercise to lose weight. Mm-hmm. That was not my experience. I started exercising in high school to get in shape for the lacrosse team. Um, I was never athletic. The lacrosse team was a terrible fit for me. It was like, they say that sports are supposed to be so um, confidence boosting for kids and like yeah. the team is so great and all this stuff. Everything they say, the opposite was true for me. Like it destroyed my self-confidence because I sucked so badly. I did not feel part of the team because I never got any playing time. I didn't feel like part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't have great coaches. They anyways, so it sucked, but the silver lining was I wanted to not die during tryouts every year. So I would start running. Yeah. And the one part of practice that I actually didn't hate was running once in a while, we'd have to run two miles. And I was like, Oh, I'm actually like not bad at this. And so I really liked the challenge of like seeing, okay, how much more could I run? Oh, wait, wow. Now I can run two miles and it's not even that hard. Could I do three? Could I do four? And so I, I ran that first marathon, um, in graduate school. I, yeah, I think I was 21 or 22 and I loved it. And then from there I did a couple more, I got injured. I started doing triathlons. So I'm like often training two times a day. And this is like yeah. normalized. This is what all my friends do. Um, but deaf and triathlon in particular, because you're wearing like a little skin suit or some form of spandex because you have to dry off quickly after you've been swimming like it has to fit under your wetsuit and then it's got to be a little cycling out so it's tight so there's that pressure of like I want to look good in this tight little outfit and then there's also like the unspoken peer pressure of looking around and being like okay I mean yes I'm actually seeing a lot more body diversity in sports now than I did 20 years ago but it felt like if you wanted to look the part you had to be thin. And that was not anything anybody told me, just something I sort of internalized. And and then there's also the factor of like, you feel like if you're carrying around extra weight as yeah. a runner or a cyclist, that's just, you know, physics, you're going to be faster if you don't have extra weight. Right. Right. So how was your relationship with food during this time? And then tell us about if there was any evolutions in your relationship with food until you discovered intuitive eating. Yeah. Um, well, I would say it was like moderate to bad for many years. Mm-hmm. I definitely would overeat thinking like I would try to be good. I wouldn't necessarily be on a diet. Like, yes, I did follow a couple of diets, but I would have never said they were diets. Like they were lifestyles. They were just yeah. healthy lifestyles. It's not a diet. Even though I was like, counting out my almonds. Or I was like, I remember being starving one summer, like almost every day I'd be starving and I would allow myself to eat half of this specific type of bar before my workout. Mm -hmm. That was it. And I'd still be starving after I ate half a bar. Then I would go do my work. It was just like, and then what I was having for dinner, like everything was very specific. Like if somebody invited me to do something that involved food that I hadn't planned on, I would get like physically anxious. Yeah. Because it would mess up my plan. And so I'd try to be you know, quote unquote good. And a lot of times like a typical pattern for me would be like, I'd be good, whatever that meant to me at that time, depending what lifestyle I was following. Yeah. And then, you know, Friday night, maybe I'd have a glass of wine or two go out. And then it was like, you know, I'd have one cookie or one slice of cake. And that was, it It was like, oh, now I've been bad. I had very like black and white thinking. I'd be like, I've been bad. Now it's a bad day. I might as well just eat the whole thing or see what else is in the pantry or whatever it was, because I'm going to, get back on the wagon tomorrow or Monday or after mm-hmm. this vacation or whatever it was. 
And there was just like so much guilt and so much shame. Sometimes I would eat to the point of like feeling bloated and sick and then waking up like, oh my God, what did I do? Um, and yeah. then what, what I didn't realize was the more you restrict, the more you overeat. That's just like your body's natural reaction. Like I didn't realize that I was thinking about food constantly because I was hungry. Like yeah. I was all the time fantasizing about muffins and brownies and what I might eat on my, like give myself a cheat day sometimes. Mm -hmm. I'm always thinking about the cheat day. And now, now that I don't do that anymore, I'm like, that's not normal. Yeah. Like you should be able to go through a day and start thinking about food when you get hungry, but right. not be thinking about food all the time. Yeah. And that's the part of your story that I really relate to. And I've shared about that openly on the podcast. And I just remember it was mostly college and kind of into more of my mid twenties when I had disordered eating as well. And it was, I found myself really caught in that cycle of restricting and then going out on the weekends. And I mean, my consumption wasn't one or two glasses of wine. Mine was like five beers. And then I would come home. Oh, I've and done like, that too. Let's be clear. I've done that. Too. I've done all forms of everything. Yes. <laughs> and my friends would call me the monster because I would just come home and I would basically like eat out my whole kitchen. And it was like, I would wake up and it was almost like I had just like blacked out and, you know, kind of, um, like numbed out that experience so that when I woke up, I was just like, what did I do? And not yeah. one time did I question, you know, the fact that maybe my behavior and my choices during those like conscious hours were leading to that behavior on the weekends when I would go out and drink. Um, instead, I just beat myself up and told myself that like I had no willpower and what is yep. wrong with me and why can't I just be normal? Yep. And it wasn't until like my later 20s, early 30s, where I kind of did a deep dive into self-exploration. But then what I discovered for myself was that was basically my relationship to food and my behavior around food and drinking and binging and restricting was almost a distraction to deeper emotional issues. And it was something that I was kind of using as a safety blanket, ironically, to kind of like shield myself from those more uncomfortable emotions that I didn't want to feel that was going on and some more like other pieces of the pie of my life. Do you, yeah. do you feel like, um, there was something going on for you emotionally, or do you think it was just like, Oh, you were restricting yourself. You were hungry. This was more of a surface level issue. Oh my gosh. So relatable. Yeah. A little bit of both. Yeah. So yes, there was the just unhealthy eating behaviors playing a huge role, but also I think, and I think a lot of us do this, it's really easy to look at your weight or the way your clothes fit or your physique and go, when that's all set, when that's buttoned up, yeah. then I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. That's the issue. Like I've, I think I've gravitated toward, you know, I've done six marathons. I've done two Ironmans. I've always been a bit of like a, not always, but since I was like, you know, since that first marathon, I've been kind of an overachiever with the like endurance stuff. I've scaled it back lately because I, I just don't have the time. And I also feel like I don't have anything to prove anymore. Like it's not even about proving anything, but for the longest time, yeah. I think I had this, like, like I needed these external measures of what I considered success to make me feel good about myself. Mm -hmm. Cause I was deeply afraid. And sometimes I still struggle with this, this yeah. deep fear of not being good enough. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like if I could say, Oh, well, look at me, I still fit into these jeans or whatever, you know, Oh, if only I had abs, then I would, or visible abs, then I would like know that I was good enough or I would look like a real athlete. And then if that were the case, like everything would be fine. 
But I think as we know, like life is messy and those things don't make life fine. Like you have to realize deep inside that you're enough and that you're okay. It's not going to come from some finish line or some personal best or whatever size pair of pants. Yeah. And it sounds so woo-woo and cliche, but it is so true. And as yours manifested kind of into the endurance sports world, like mine manifested into like entrepreneurship. (laughs) So it's like when I kind of healed that relationship with food and body image issues and stuff, then later on down the road, it kind of transpired into like, okay, well then how can I prove myself in work and in business? And it became like, trying to achieve. And like the real quick kicker is like when I realized like, oh, I'm probably doing this subconsciously to make my dad proud. Yep. And then my dad passed away and he, that wasn't even like a reality anymore, but I still found myself operating in that same way. And I was like, I'm just going to burn myself out and go crazy. And so it's like, not until you really discover that sense of inner peace and intrinsic worth and like the joy that you find in the smaller things and not picking out the shiny pennies of life of what society tells us that we need to do in order to be happy. Absolutely. Well, I'm sorry that your dad died. Oh, thank Um, you. It was a long time ago. Okay. Well, still, and I (laughs) give you a lot of credit for like digging in because I think a lot of people move through life kind of unconsciously, not realizing where these patterns come from, not questioning them. Um, I've been working with a business coach lately, Jenny Gritters. Are you familiar with her at all? Oh, uh uh-uh. In our recent uh, group coaching call, she was just talking about these uh, overlaps between diet culture and productivity culture. Oh, yeah. Oh, I believe it. It's just another trap, I feel like, to get you, honestly, to get you to buy something, right? Because every business guru, quote unquote, out there has something to sell you. And they're like, if you're, and it's preying on that insecurity of if I had enough money or if I had achieved all these things, then I would feel good enough. But it's like that horizon is always moving. Like the goalpost is always shifting once you get it. Like I used to think, oh, if I could only run this fast, then I'd be happy. And then I would. And then I'd be happy for like 12 hours. And then I'd immediately go go online and put a new race on my calendar and see if I could beat that. Yeah. I've, I've proved myself wrong in that way so many times. And, you know, and I've, when it comes to business and stuff, like even achieving a dream of writing a cookbook, which, um, I published, a few years ago. And I remember, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, and it was like, I remember after that process was over and I just looked at my husband and I was like, I don't know what to do with myself. Like it wasn't like, I couldn't just sit in that joy of like, I just achieved a life dream. It was almost like, well, what the fuck do I do now? You know? So I just found myself going stir crazy. Um, Anyway, we could go down this (laughs) tangent for the rest of the episode, but I want to shift gears and talk about intuitive eating. What is intuitive eating and what are the core principles? Yeah, no, great question. Um, Let's see. And oh, one thing I didn't mention, just super Mm -hmm. quick, all Mm -hmm. this body image stuff kind of followed me. I thought, I really thought that when I had kids, I would just automatically turn off that switch and be cool because Mm -hmm. I would have to be a good example to my kids. And it did not work that way. I was still doing all that shit. Can I say shit on your podcast? Oh yeah, of course. Okay. Still doing all this. I have two girls and, um, and then yeah, trying to lose the baby weight after the second one was driving me insane. I was way too hard on myself. And I, I started counting macros because mm-hmm. I was partly because I was doing CrossFit at the time, which in so many ways was so amazing for me. Like I was doing all these new things. It was so fun. I learned to use a barbell, started feeling really confident with that. But I also started following all these CrossFit women accounts on Instagram and making me think like that just made me think, oh, I need to have the physique of a CrossFitter. Yeah. So I need to count macros. So I started yeah. doing that. 
And that was like my lowest point. And that was what brought me to intuitive eating because I was like, this is not sustainable anymore, all of this micromanaging. And so, which brought me to intuitive eating, which is in a nutshell, okay, so it's based on 10 principles, which we probably don't have time to get into all 10. But the idea is that you trust yourself instead of something outside of yourself mm. to tell you what, when, and how much to eat. That's it in a nutshell. Um, but one interesting little caveat, um, when I took the certification, we heard from one of the co-founders and she said, you know, we kind of wish that we had named it something different. Intuitive eating is a bit of a misnomer because when you, uh, I think of this a lot, especially from like a sports nutrition perspective, mm -hmm. um, cause you're not like intuition would mean like pure intuition would be like, what does my gut tell me? Right. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, my gut might be telling me like I'm in a bakery meeting up with friends for a bike ride. My gut might be saying, Ooh, that croissant looks good. But my brain knows whether from experience or just like knowing if you eat a croissant and then you go ride 40 miles, it's just going to sit heavy in your stomach. You're not right. going to like, it's not going to be good for your performance. Like it's not going to be, it's not going to make this ride fun. So what's a better choice? Maybe it's the banana or whatever, you know, what is the food that you're used to before a big ride? Yeah. So it's like taking all of it into account, not just what you want in this moment, but also what you know will make you feel good later. And like, same thing, I'll come back from a hard workout or a race and I won't feel hungry, but I know that if I want to feel good tomorrow, I need to refuel right away. So it's not always, it's not just about responding to your hunger cues. And it's not just about responding to like, Ooh, that bag of chips looks good. I'm going to eat that. Like, yeah, maybe it does, but also like, is it 10 o'clock and your bedtime is 10, 15? Maybe you're not going to sleep so great if you eat a bag of chips before bedtime. So, yeah. so there's nuance to it, I guess is what I'm saying. No. And I'm so glad you clarified that because that's something that I struggle with, with intuitive eating. Um, and I know that it's so wonderful for so many people, but it has me asking, well, like, what about nutritional values? Yep. And, and, and I'm not saying that it doesn't, it sounds like it definitely incorporates that in a very big way. Because I think one of the pushbacks is intuitive eating was like, well, if I really listened to what I wanted, I would eat a sleeve of Oreos or a pint of ice cream, but I know that that's not going to nourish my body. Yeah. So where does like nutritional values play a role? And maybe you can sort of help to illustrate that with like another example of what you talked about at the bakery. Yeah, totally. Um, well, it's interesting that you mentioned the sleeve of Oreos because that's the exact example given on, do you ever listen to the, um, 10% happier podcast with Dan Harris? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love him. So I know, one I of my, too. okay. One of my favorite, it was episodes. my first self-help book actually. Now that I oh. think about it, I was thinking about that the other day. That's so funny. You said that synchronicity, which, which is the book called 10% happier. 10% happier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. He's great. He's one. like so relatable. He doesn't yeah. come across like some celebrity, even though he is. He yeah. interviewed um, Evelyn Triboli, one of the co-founders of Intuitive Eating. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool to listen to how she basically totally changes his mind over like a 50-minute conversation because he's diehard. Like I have to control myself. Otherwise, I will eat a sleeve of Oreos or a box of Oreos. And um, they end up doing a follow-up episode. Like he he hires her to be his dietitian. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah. And then he does a follow-up episode like six or 12 months later to talk about how he's changed. Um, that's sort of an aside. But the idea is like, yes, you might want to eat a sleeve of Oreos, especially in the beginning of your intuitive eating journey, depending on like how long you've been restricting and how extensively you've been restricting, the more you've restricted, the more you're going to want to just eat all the things. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of like a seesaw. Your body wants to establish equilibrium. Mm -hmm. 
But once the idea is once you really get over that, like when you give yourself full permission to eat all the foods when you want, as much as you want, then you can neutralize them. Because like, I always give the example of like, if you tell a kid not to touch something, yeah, they're going to do it. Like, even if I told yeah. you right now, like, don't think about a paperweight, like, yeah, <laughs> I think about a paperweight, right? So right. there's this huge emotional charge to a food when you tell yourself it's forbidden. Right. On the other hand, if you tell yourself, wait a minute, I can eat as much of this as I want when I want it. Now, when you truly believe that, you can make an informed decision, like a different decision. It comes from a different place. It comes from like not the frenzied place of like, oh, I shouldn't have it. I want it. I shouldn't. I want it. Blah. Okay. You know what? I'm just going to eat it. Uh, yeah. uh, now I'm going to finish it so that it's not there tomorrow because tomorrow I'm going to be good. You don't yeah. do that anymore. You're like, well, do I really want it? And if I do really want it, I don't need to like take a bite as I'm walking by and pretend I didn't do it. I can put it in a bowl. I can sit down with no distractions and really taste this food and experience this food and enjoy this food. And I promise for most people listening, if you do that with a food that you have considered forbidden, just one food at a time, just take one food. If you do that every day for a period of time, I promise there will come a time when you're a little bit sick of it. Um, yeah. or, or not, maybe not sick of it, but like you're kind of neutral about it. You don't care. You don't think like maybe where you used to be like, I could never have that in the house because I'd eat it all. Right. Now you would like, I actually up till recently, wasn't sure if I could not eat all the wheat thins. I <laughs> always used to have a thing about wheat thins, but I just started eating a little bowl of them every single day with my lunch, just cause like, I love them. Yeah. And I am, I am now at a point where I'm like, I still like them, but I'm not scared of them or threatened by them. They don't they, hold that power. No, they really don't. And that's how, so, so that's number one. Number yeah. one is you probably aren't going to be eating macaroni and cheese or ice cream or pizza three meals a day every day for the rest of your life. That's probably mm -hmm. not going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but also one of the principles of intuitive eating is it's called gentle nutrition. And it means kind of looking at your diet and going as a whole. I mean, maybe it was like one meal is like, I don't know, hot dog and fries because you were at a baseball game and that's what you wanted. Like, fine. But on the whole, like, how is your diet? If you're noticing, I don't have a lot of different colors or textures in here. I don't have a lot of fruits and vegetables. You can make a conscious effort to add those in. Um, without it, this is the thing. You want to include them because you want to have a rounded, balanced diet, but you don't want to turn it into a diet. Do you know what right. I mean? Yeah. And so the the way there's a book of intuitive eating and they introduce the nutrition piece at the end because a lot of times people come to intuitive eating after a history of eating disorders or disordered eating. And so you want to get all the other like emotional pieces in place first before you start to think about nutrition because that is like you you have to create habits that, that with that that are going to be sustainable. And if you try to introduce it too early, it can like turn back into a diet before you know it. And then you kind of, cause a lot of people look at intuitive eating and they're like, oh, it's the hunger fullness diet. I'd like yeah. sneakily, they're like, oh, I'm just only going to eat when I'm hungry. And that's how I'll lose weight. Mm. One of the key parts of intuitive eating is letting go of weight and going, you know what? I can be healthy at any size. If I have good habits, if I move, if I eat a variety of foods, if I mm -hmm. take care of my emotional needs, if I sleep well, you know, if I have good social support, there's so many aspects of health. Let's address all of those things. And if you do, the idea is that the weight will fall where the weight falls because we're not all meant to be size two. You know, right. the media, you know, all the, we've got all these messages telling us if only you want it bad enough, you can make your body look any way you want, but it's not really true. Yeah. And I want to go back to, you know, kind of what you said about giving yourself permission. And I don't know, have you read 
The Slowdown Diet by Mark David. No, he, but I know Mark David. I, he was one of the first like psychology of eating type books eating. I read on my journey of this. Yeah. Um, his book is so great in sort of outlining the, the science behind mm-hmm. all this. And, um, and you're so right. It just sounds like it kind of helps to remove those mechanisms of human nature that would basically like kind of get in the way and sabotage you because I mean, your brain is just wired in this very primal way. And, you know, and he argues that like when we don't give ourselves permission or when we don't eat with pleasure, like the wiring in our brain will make sure that like, you know, we either eat the thing we tell ourselves not to, or the thing that we said wasn't, you know, that we weren't going to experience pleasure with or whatever. So, um, that's a really good resource for people, but I'm curious because, what you said about um, trusting yourself in this experience. And for someone with a story like you or me, like it took me a very long time to build back that self-trust around food. So I don't feel like I would have comfortably been able to like jump into this journey with two feet. So what is your advice for someone if they've really harmed their relationship with food Um, like any relationship, if the trust is broken, you have to repair it. So what's your advice in that sense? Oh, that is so good. Um, I would start small. Mm. I would start small. And maybe if food is too scary, start with something else. Like this might sound again, kind of woo, but like take yourself on a date, Mm. set aside, you know, an evening for yourself and go, what do I want to do tonight? Do I want to just browse at, at a bookstore or sit down and have a cup of coffee somewhere? Do I want to try this workout class I've never tried before? You know, not to burn calories, but just because it would be fun. Yeah. And not not like meeting with a friend, just you. Um, you know, do I want to hole up in my den with these watercolors that I've ignored for the past nine months? But I'm kind of curious to like turn on a YouTube video and like learn how to do these watercolors, like whatever it might be. Um, you know, do I want to take myself to the botanic gardens? Just carve out time for yourself and experiment with asking yourself what you want to do in other areas of your life. Um And then maybe from there, like if you're like, okay, I want to start with food, but I can't go whole hog. I can't let go of all my rules. Um, Maybe let go of one rule and see how you feel. Like I tried this with a client um, recently. She said she just doesn't feel like she should have carbs after she works out. She's trying to do this low carb thing. So Uh I said, look, instead of overhauling the whole diet, why don't you find a carb rich food that you enjoy? toast, bagel, English muffin, whatever, because you do need those carbs after a workout. I want you to try eating it or eating half of it or whatever, some portion of it that you feel comfortable with it post-workout or maybe pre-workout, whatever. And then just see how you feel. Yeah, Just see how you feel. Um, And you might just realize you feel good. Actually, a friend of mine was a diehard fasted morning exerciser. She would never eat before a workout. Mm. And after actually reading an article I wrote about why pre sometimes during and post exercise fuel is so important. She was like, well, I'll try it. Right. And she told me, oh my God, I had like one graham cracker before my workout, but it changed everything. I had so much more energy and I had bought all of this like intermittent fasting, um, narrative that like, this is the way to do it. This is the way, but she's like, I had so much more energy and I enjoyed it more. So sometimes just seeing how you feel after you do the thing is enough momentum to keep trying it and keep trying different foods especially when you approach it with curiosity and you sort of like let go of those rules and you soften the rigidity and you're just like, I'm just going to see how this feels. And it can just be a one-time experiment. 
And I will tell you what, like based on what you just said about your clients with the fasted workouts and the carbs, like if I could go back and tell myself some advice 10 years ago, among many things, it would be (laughs) don't fear carbs because I spent a lot of years in that mentality too. And I've let go of that rule as well as the intermittent fasting. I feel as if not intermittent fasting has been the best thing that I could have done for my body. And I am someone who used to be a very avid person for that schedule. So, um, and, and I think this is kind of what social media does, unfortunately. And I, and I do think that there are some professionals out there really trying to clear the confusion, but then like, we can just get so caught up in the noise. And so And it's so tricky too, because I do think that in many ways, Western medicine, it legitimately has failed us, right? Like nobody's going to argue that we've had an opioid crisis. We absolutely have. Nobody's going to say like maternal health is great. You know, like we have issues in this country. So I think it's very seductive and easy to turn around and go, well, the traditional medical system has failed me. Who else is out there? Who understands me? Oh, these influencers might not be doctors, but they get me. And so I, I have a lot of empathy for people that want to listen to influencers instead of people with actual degrees and you, you don't really know who you can trust, but, um, yeah, I, I, I'm very skeptical of anyone that's claiming to have like a magic bullet, like anyone who says, you know, and I do think there are certain populations for whom intermittent fasting makes sense. Yeah. It certainly isn't for everybody. And I, like you said, with the curiosity, just treat yourself like an experiment. Yeah. And I would be curious, speaking of scientific research, um, if you're just aware of what the science says about intuitive eating. Yeah, science says that there's some preliminary findings that show people who are intuitive eaters, they tend to have much better body image, much less incidence of disordered eating behaviors, um, actually better labs, like better blood sugar regulation better cholesterol, lower markers of inflammation. These are all things that can come with intuitive eating. Um, And I actually was just, I'm giving a talk tomorrow and I was doing some research for this. There is data to show that they divide, they looked at people in two classifications. They had what they called visceral eaters, which were people who they classified as eating because of like cravings or because Mm -hmm. of emotional reasons. And then they had people that they called Epicurean eaters, which were people that really want to savor the experience of eating the food they really enjoyed and really taking into account the the texture, the visual presentation, you know, all the things you do in your cookbooks, right? Yeah. And they found that the Epicurean eaters uh, were healthier. They had better like mental well-being and their Epicurean eating style, they they were more likely to eat moderate or small portions. Mm-hmm. And they, um, it was the last thing that was really, oh, it didn't affect their BMI. So I think that's really telling people who allow themselves to really enjoy the experience of the food. They're not as like obsessed with food. That was going to be one of my next questions is kind of what does mindful eating have to do with this? How does it play a role? How do you encourage your clients to eat more mindfully? Yeah, that's a great question. And one distinction I would make is there is a whole thing. I think you can become like a certified mindful eating practitioner. Like it's its own philosophy of eating. And I do think there's overlap between like certainly intuitive eating involves mindful practices, but my understanding of mindful eating as like a trademark thing is that it's a weight loss method. 
Whereas, um, like they market themselves as like, Hey, you can lose weight through mindful eating. I don't know. Maybe you can, um, intuitive eating is, is not marketing itself as a weight loss measure. It's more just like, Hey, maybe you'll lose weight. Maybe you'll gain weight. We don't know. Um, so yeah. putting that out there as a caveat, but yeah, the mindfulness piece is big because a lot of times we don't let ourselves feel our hunger cues because we're so distracted. We're eating mm -hmm. while texting, we're eating while reading the paper, we're working while we're eating, whatever it is. Um, and so when you really tune in and you experience like, okay, how does this feel in my mouth? What am I smelling? What am I seeing? I'm pausing to check in with myself and go, am I full now? Or how satisfying is this? Like when I, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've had this experience. I certainly have. When I start eating a piece of cake, I love cake. So that's, I'm going to use the cake example. Love cake too. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Um, my first bite is by far the best bite. The second bite is still excellent. Third, you know, as I continue to take bites, the satisfaction decreases a little bit more over time. Yeah, it's what yeah. I call eating to your pleasure parabola, because it kind I of the that. law of diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and it's, and it's not really about fullness, because let's be honest. Like I don't know about you, but I'm not going to eat a slice of cake when I'm starving. Like when I'm starving is when I want like a sandwich or an omelet or something more hearty. Yeah, protein. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I'm eating a slice of cake because it's someone's birthday or because I don't know, maybe it's the morning after my birthday and it's there and I'm like, Ooh, cake with coffee. This would be so good. Oh yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. It's like a pleasure food. It's a fun food. There's room for that in intuitive eating, but it's like just paying attention to like, when does it stop being less exciting? And now yeah. you hit that threshold where you're like, eh, I don't need it anymore. Or I know, I know that I can have this anytime I want. So I don't need to eat the whole thing right now. There's actually a scientific study um, that talks about nutrient absorption in distracted eaters versus non-distracted eaters. And Mark David talks about this. And I think it goes like the non-distracted eaters, um, and it's not even food, it's they're drinking a mineral drink in order mm -hmm. just to check on absorption. And 100% in the non-distracted, um, the minerals get absorbed. And then in the distracted, I mean, it's basically like the researchers are whispering something in their ear. And so um, like they're not even like immersed in a different activity, 0% absorption. And so if wow. you, yeah. And so if you think about that, to your point of how often we are eating when we are in a distracted state, and I would say probably most often than not, um, if you're not absorbing your nutrients, like you're, there's no way you're going to walk away from that eating experience feeling satisfied. And, totally. and even if your stomach feels full, like I say that there's like the, this, a mental hunger that can linger. And it's like, oh, yeah. oh, I could still eat, you know, some more, like when you're watching TV and you're eating popcorn and like your hand swipes the bottom of a bowl and it's empty, but like, you don't even remember how you got there, yes. you know, yes. and that you could still eat more. Like, it's just, it has to do with the power of the mind in the eating experience. And it is really powerful. Absolutely. And I also think you could have that sensation of just wanting to eat more when you didn't eat the thing that you really wanted. Like, mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many articles I've seen. That's like, oh, you want a bagel? Have a piece of toast instead. And I'm like, but that's not the same thing. Like, right. <laughs> like right. I want a bagel. I want a bagel. Like I, when I was younger, I used to eat like, I don't know, like a whole box of Snackwell's cookies and still want, yeah. I'd be like, that's disgusting. And I want more because they're gross. They weren't what I really wanted. They didn't scratch the itch. And I've noticed when I ha I'm having those circumstances where like, let's say like I'm out of my routine, we're traveling, we're eating at restaurants or whatever. And I always go into an experience like that's telling myself that I can order whatever I want. And 
majority of the time it's healthy food. Mm-hmm. You know, there are those instances where I'm eating pizza and beer and I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, but I noticed that like when I order the thing that I actually want and not to like, I'm not saying this from a scarcity mindset of any means or like a diet mentality. It's just like, I just eat less because I'm just more satisfied. And I know that I've like given myself permission and I'm not going to like stuff myself silly because it's like, oh, this is the only time I'm going to give myself permission to eat this. So I might as well get it in while I can, you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, and another thing I wanted to add about the nutrition piece. I think when you start looking at yourself, not as a weight loss project, but as a, not even a project as like, Hey, how do I want to feel? Like I started doing something different with the way I eat recently because like for the longest time I wouldn't eat toast with butter because I thought it was bad. And as an intuitive eater, I'm like, bring on the toast with butter. I love it so much. It tastes so good. I enjoy it so much. I'm not afraid of that anymore, but I've been getting constipated and I was like, well, how can I get more fiber in my diet? I could still eat toast with butter and fruit, but then I'd be pretty full. So I'm like, let me start with the fruit. And if I'm Mm -hmm. still hungry, then I could totally have a slice of toast, but I'm I'm putting the fruit in front of the toast. And like when I went on vacation recently, I always struggle with this on vacation because I'm, you know, new toilet, new, new routine, new everything. So, and it was, we were like this all-inclusive resort. So I could have all the fruits and vegetables. I could have all of the, anything that I wanted. Um, So I was like, I'm just going to like really put a lot of fruit on my plate because I like it and it's really good at this place. I'm just going to like get all the fruits I like. And it wasn't, a, and it was like the energy, like, could that be a diet strategy? Absolutely. But it wasn't because the goal wasn't weight loss. The energy behind it wasn't like, oh crap, I hope I hope I don't gain weight on this vacation. No, it, it was, was self care. I want, yeah, I want to feel good on this vacation. I yeah. just want to take a dump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh, been there. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think that's the difference, right? It's like when you can kind of look at it from this place of self care, self nourishment, and the intention behind it. Like that's a motivating factor in and of itself. Like I remember I had my good friend Laura Lee on the podcast had her on a couple of times, but it was like one of our first conversations we were talking about. And she's someone who will openly admit she's done a lot of work on her relationship to food. And I think she has one of the most easy breezy relationships with food, especially when she travels, like, you know, she's eating the pastries and the donuts for breakfast. And, you know, she just has no rules at all around it. And, um, and she feels great. And I said, you know, if I went traveling and I started out the day with a donut, Like not only would I want to take a nap, but like my face would break out and my stomach would hurt. And like, maybe there's some mental block in there that's like creating this physiological symptoms to get really woo-woo on you. But like, that's just my reality. And so I'm going to choose something that's going to actually make me feel good, especially if I want sustained energy for the rest of the day, especially when I'm on a trip, you know? So there's just like, you've got to just like weigh all the information that you have and do the best you can where you are. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Could not agree more. So what questions should we be asking ourselves like before, during, and after the eating experience from an intuitive eating sense? Oh, I love this question. I think before you would ask like, what am I in the mood for? Like, what does my body need? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and it depends how active you are. Like for me, I might ask myself, well, what did I just do? Like if I just lifted heavy weights, I'm going to eat protein in some form or another. I'm not going to necessarily measure it out because I, that drives me a little crazy. I don't think, and I don't think it's necessary. I, um, I mean, you could, I definitely think that like for most normal mortals, there's no need to be counting yeah. all your macros, but like I'll get a serving of protein in there. Um, 
depending on it, or if I'm about to work out, I'm like, okay, I want a carbohydrate that's easy to digest. Like, mm -hmm. so probably not an apple, you know, it's like too much fiber. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what did I do? What am I about to do? What am I craving? What would sound good right now? You know, and of course, sometimes it's just a matter of like, what's in your refrigerator at this moment. Um, but what's, what could I do with what I have? Like, could you be creative? And like, if you're craving something warm, could you whip up like an omelet with some leftover vegetables from last night's dinner and, mm -hmm. a, and an egg? Um, some imagination is always helpful. It's also helpful to have a few things like pre-prepped in your, if you are eating at home, like just having things there, it makes it easier to like visualize what could I do with these foods, like slicing up some peppers, slicing up some cucumbers that makes them like more accessible. But yeah, what do I feel like? Oh, and how hungry am I? Like right. if I'm just medium hungry, like a four on a scale of like zero to 10, say, like I will be pretty satisfied probably with like, I don't know, a salad and like a salad with some protein in it and like some, I don't know, crackers or something on the side. But if I'm starving, if I'm already like an eight, I need some bread in there. Like I'm going to yeah. need like, or maybe a sweet potato or like something really quick energy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also what am I, what am I doing during the meal? Like what's happening? Am I going out to dinner? Is this a special restaurant that I haven't been to in a long time or I've never been to? What do I want to try? What's exciting? Um, yeah. or what's, what's going on? Like, is it someone's birthday? Like probably going to eat cake. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, okay. And then during the meal, how is this tasting? How full am I? Am I um, in touch with my experience of this food? Like, is my mind like on the food? Um, and then after the meal, okay, how did that feel? How full am I? And this is key. This is key. I feel like if you take nothing away from this conversation, take this away. After the meal, being curious, but not judgmental. So mm. say you overdo it. We all overdo it. Even I'm sure like the best textbook intuitive eaters overdo it sometimes because we're human. We are wired to take pleasure in food. So say you go to a party or buffet or some situation where it's just like, oh my God, it was all so good. I had to try all of it or, or whatever it may be. Um, okay. So you don't feel good. Maybe you're bloated. Maybe you have some indigestion. You feel lethargic. Just use that as data. Just go, okay, that didn't feel good. What led to this? Was mm -hmm. I too hungry going into this meal? Was I trying to distract from some emotional problem? Was I just so involved in the conversation that I was just shoveling the food in? Or like you said before, I was just watching a movie and just shoveling in the popcorn, not paying attention. Like, it doesn't matter what it was. Just what was it? Okay. Now that I know what it was, I could note that so that hopefully this doesn't happen again. But knowing that the fact that you ate more than you were comfortable with doesn't say anything about who you are as a person. This affects your self-worth 0%. Yeah. That's the yeah. most important thing. And I love what you were saying, um, kind of about that inner dialogue, um, during the meal. And I think that there could be some people listening that would think like, well, that's a lot of like mental chatter around food and it just seems like exhausting. But I would argue that eating is such a sensory experience. Like, I think that we should all be that engaged with our meal and kind of just like having that inner dialogue and helping to make that mind body connection between what we're even doing. And I think yeah. that a lot, there's so many people in our society that just don't do that. And I think about like my husband and I love watching Anthony Bourdain and I love like the slow food movement. And, um, you know, when you travel to Europe, like it's just such this culinary art, I guess you could say that I feel as if our society, unfortunately, is lacking. Um, but I, I do think that 
there are certain cultures that curate those experiences and it just is all about the food in front of you. Like, yeah, you're talking with family members and friends about this and that too, but it's like, you're just immersed in that experience. And I think that that's okay to do inside your head if you need to. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I don't necessarily, it's not like I eat this way every single meal, like every meal I'm constantly checking in with myself. Like, how do I feel? But you can take pauses during meals. Like I especially like to do this before, like if I'm contemplating getting seconds, take Mm -hmm. a pause and go, wait, how do I feel? How much did I like the food? How full am I? How hungry am I? If I'm not sure, there's nothing wrong with like waiting a few beats and then making the decision about whether I want more. Like that's a really good stopping point. Like just after you have helping. Yeah, absolutely. And what if someone has struggled with food anxiety and guilt and shame that they've placed around food, their relationship with food, past experiences? How does that kind of cloud our judgment and interfere with our body's hunger cues? Oh, that's a really good question. Well, depending if, if those, like, if that chatter and self-talk has been going on for quite a while and has been causing you to restrict, mm-hmm. you may be very out of touch with your hunger cues. Mm-hmm. Um, people with... Um, clinical eating disorders for them, like they need to intuitive eat the, the intuitive eating book actually suggests that you not dive right into intuitive eating. If that's your situation, instead you eat three meals a day and two snacks until your hunger cues come back. Cause mm-hmm. your body's pretty smart. It starts to go, gosh, you're depriving me so badly for so long. I guess sending you all these hunger cues is like, I'm getting ignored. So why bother? So you stop yeah. getting hungry. Um, so yeah, work on just establishing a regular eating schedule. Um, but I would also say in terms of like the anxiety itself, um, I think journaling can be so illuminating. Sometimes we don't know what our self-talk is saying. It just feels like truth. It doesn't even feel it's it's like unconscious. We don't even know that that loop is running in the background, write that stuff down. What is, we call it the food police. What is my food police saying to me? And where is it coming from? Because that's not coming from you. You were not born thinking that chocolate chip cookies were bad. You were not born thinking that your thighs were too big. You were not born worrying about the wedding that you're going to be in in a month. You know, like these voices telling us all these things. That's not you. So what is that from? Just identify it. That's like a really good starting point. So when you were able to kind of calm that mental chatter and that food anxiety, and you felt like you had more mental clarity and space, what were you able to do in that space? Oh my God. So many things. Well, for one thing, just enjoy life more, go on a vacation and actually enjoy it. Enjoy all the food without worrying about it, including not overeating. I used to have a terrible habit of like overeating on vacations at restaurants at parties. Cause I had this, like I'm on the wagon or off the wagon mentality. Yeah. So that was huge. But also it gave me the space, I think, to get in touch with myself on a more global level. Because when you're checking in with yourself multiple times a day to find out what do I want to eat, you're you're paying attention to your body. And I think a lot of our emotions are stored in our body. So it really got me in the habit of checking in with myself when like if an opportunity came my way it was a lot easier to listen to my gut and go, oh, this is a good one or this isn't a good one instead of thinking about what I should do. Yes. Oh, that's so good. That's so true. Um, Because your intuition was cleared up. Exactly. Yeah. And it just gave me room to like be more creative and more just, you know, when you're not weighed down by all this anxiety, you have space 
to think about and do the things that truly matter. So that was huge. My career really exploded like the year that I discovered intuitive eating. Yeah. Um, I broke into a bunch of my dream publications and started just doing stuff that I had only dreamed about. And I love being a good example for my kids. I used to be like, well, as long as they can't see me hating my body in the mirror, like it's fine. Yeah. That's yeah. what I used to tell myself. But now I'm like, okay, they watch me like eating whatever and not stressing about it. And like, we talk about these things. And I'm like, you know, cookies aren't necessarily on the menu, like every meal, but like when you want cookies, when they say, how many can I have? I say, well, however many you think you need. And yeah, it's a little, it's a little scary. I'll admit that a little scary to like let go of that and be like, oh my God, what if they eat all the cookies? But right. I have to trust that like, maybe they will eat all the cookies, but they'll have a bad experience. They'll have a stomach ache and not want to do it again. Right. They'll learn a lesson. And I, I mean, what I found, I mean, my son's only two and a half, but I mean, he's, you know, very in tune to his hunger cues. And if he doesn't want to eat something, he's not going to eat it. I mean, picky eating yeah. aside, he's the pickiest person on the planet, but, um, <laughs> but you know, I, I watch him and he stops when he's full and he asks for a snack when he's hungry. And it's yeah. just like this kind of natural ebb and flow. Totally. To toddlers have it dialed. <laughs> yes. Um, so for the sake of respecting your time, I just have a couple more questions, but I would love for you to let people know where they can find you before we sign off. Absolutely. This has been so much fun, first of all. But um, oh, good. yeah, people can find me. Probably the best place is pam-more.com. That is my website. From there, you can sign up for my free newsletter. It's called Real Nourished. Uh, it goes out twice a month. And I also going to have coming soon a sign-up form on there so people can get on the wait list for a group coaching cohort that I'm going to launch this year. Awesome. And I will put all of that in the show notes. Great. Um, So if you could stand on a rooftop or a pedestal or what have you and shout your message in one to three sentences, what would you want your audience to hear? Hmm. I would want them to know that their worth is not predicated on their weight. Hmm. Full stop. Yeah. And so many people need to hear that. So I'm sure you've just impacted a lot of lives. Thanks. So thank you, Pam, for your sharing your insight and wisdom. This was so wonderful having you on. And I know I learned a lot and I know our audience will have too. So just appreciate you coming on here. Thank you for having me. So much fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthified podcast and hope you enjoyed this episode. If it resonated with you, please share it with a friend or rate and review the podcast, which helps us share the health with more people. For further learning, be sure to check out the linked resources in the show notes, and you can connect with us on Instagram at healthified and at gratified. Until next time.